Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko created Spider-Man, X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers, timeless characters whose stories were retold in the modern day with the creation of the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Join us as we journey through My Ultimate Year. Hello and welcome to My Ultimate Year. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I am joined today by a man, the A in his name does stand for France. It's Zach Dean. How's <laughs> my, it going, my Zach? Initial, my middle initial is F and it does stand for France. Well, no, the F actually stands for America. It's very confusing. It's a silent <laughs> F. Um, so <laughs> here we are talking My Ultimate Year Part 5. This is our spinoff podcast of my marvelous year my marvelous year we go through the marvel universe earth 616 from its origins to today my ultimate year we go through earth 1610 the marvel universe that was launched in the year 2000 and we are reading the entire thing we're reading every ultimate comic from 2000 through its conclusion or did it conclude We'll see. But we are on episode five now. We are approximately in the 2002-2003 range, I think, as far as like publication dates go, typically. And today we're going to talk about Ultimate Spider-Man number 22 to 32, Ultimate Spider-Man Super Special number one, and Mm -hmm. Ultimates, the conclusion of the first round by Mark Miller and Brian Hitch, issues 7 to 13. Zach, where can people find the Ultimate Marvel Universe reading lists? Three places. One, the free place in the show notes for each episode. Two, the $1 a month place, which is Patreon. If you give us a buck a month, support us there. You get uh, the newsletter I put out every week. And three, for $5 a month, besides getting early access to the show and Slack membership, you also get the like master spreadsheet for both My Marvelous Year and My Ultimate Year. And the My Ultimate Year one is done. So, like, if you get access to the spreadsheet, you will have it for the entire rest of the show, all 36 or 38 episodes we have, because we have it planned out basically in full already. Yeah, we got it paid in full the whole way through. You can find the whole thing. Of course, you can also find a list over at comicbookherald.com for an Ultimate Universe reading order um, if you want to read along with us or read as far ahead as you like. All right, let's talk some Ultimate Universe. Last time... On My Ultimate Universe, we covered uh, Spidey, X-Men, and the kickoff of Ultimates. Today, we got Mm -hmm. huge amounts, huge amounts of Spider-Man to get through. Let's start there with issue 22. So we have basically two story arcs of Spider-Man. The first... I messed up with the, uh, I think, the ordering here. I think the the super special one should come first, because I think it clearly takes place before all these. Um, Just because him and MJ are pals still. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it doesn't super throw off the flow, but you could. Do you want to just no, talk about that no. one first, since it is kind of a yeah, kind yeah. Of loose end? Yeah, so. so Ultimate Spider-Man yeah. Super Special is basically, it is the conclusion of Ultimate Marvel team-up. Uh, that yep. the ver- like the strangest thing in Ultimate Comics early days, <laughs> where yes. Brian Michael Bendis was consistently the writer. It's an artist showcase, which is what Super Special shows off here. There are a gazillion artists on this oversized special, and we'll call out a few of them, certainly. Um, but basically... Basically, this is just Spider-Man teaming up with people, Marvel, you know, Marvel Universe characters in the Ultimate Universe before they've debuted 
in any other Ultimate book, typically. Yeah. So what happens yeah. very strangely in Team Up is these versions of these characters aren't aligned with necessarily with how they will actually get used. Um, I think yep. like most notably, like Iron Man, as designed by Miller and Hitch in Ultimates, is very different. Also, the Fantastic Four show up a couple times here um, in Team Up. Yeah, and that's super special, the, and they're totally not the different. One we're gonna get. Yeah, yeah, that's not right, the team right. we're going to get because Ultimate Fantastic Four doesn't actually launch until a decent chunk later. We're not going to cover those first issues um, until next episode, actually. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So with that said, I I have like zero story opinion about Super Special. I was cl- I was 100% oh, I, I like just it, scanning actually. through for the art. All right. So you, you oh, tell no, us then so what, I think what you this, think about this it. This works because this is... Um... This is something that I think like is a really good through line through all of Ultimate Spider-Man, which is it's focusing on the fact that he's a teen, and it's not just set dressing because the X-Men are teens, but oftentimes it Mostly. doesn't. Yeah, right, right. But oftentimes it Wolverine's doesn't, like... a big weird daddy. Wait, what? Say that again. I said Wolverine's a big weird daddy, and then you looked at oh, me like yeah, I said the phrase yeah. "big weird daddy." <laughs> no, sc- Skype, <laughs> Skype cut out. But I also would have looked at you the same way had it not. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like the X-Men are, you know... I need a leather jacket that says Big Weird Daddy also, on the back. I think we should get matching absolutely ones. absolutely do. Right? We should get yeah, matching sure. leather jackets with Big Weird Daddies. That could be daddies. our first merch for the club, is uh, My Marvelous Year Big Weird Daddies. <laughs> Great <laughs> Un- kickoff. Unisex, yeah. Unit. Right. Oh, absolutely. A leather jacket fits anybody. Yeah. yeah, I mean, being a Big Weird Daddy is, you know, it's not tied to gender. Um, no. So it's a oh state of God, mind. What was I? Yes. Um, the X-Men are purportedly teens... But oftentimes they kind of are just like vaguely twenty four, you know, like all of them. But also like just on kind of... Leno, <laughs> you know, right? Like exactly, right? Time. They're not. Yeah, you you don't. The, the teen stuff is not front and center. Where Spider Man, Ultimate Spider Man, it really is in a way that it really even wasn't back in, um, you know, the the original like Stanley Ditko era. So right. this one is all about Peter Parker. He interrupts Blade. <laughs> he he like gets in the way of Blade hunting a vampire and then realizes like he he ties up Blade and then the vampire attacks. Blade kills the vampire and he realizes like he's way above his head, right? Like he doesn't know what's going on or he doesn't he is often out of his depth and he doesn't like quite know how to handle it. So, so I like a, it. There's a lot thing. of that in Ultimate Spider-Man this year because that was yeah. one of my biggest thematic takeaways in this and the the issues is just this Bendis is very good at the storytelling of the sensation of Peter Parker being like, I'm 16 WTF. Like what, what is happening? (laughs) How did I get in this mess? Like he's really good at sort of the fear and just like the overwhelming sensation of what it would be like to be this kid running around as Spider-Man. And that pressure. Yeah. That you just like do not have the, uh, you know, the faculties to deal with. Um, Yes, so I like all that, and I like that, so this becomes, it's actually a good reason for him to interact with Marvel heroes. I mean, the the next thing that happens is that he interrupts Elektra assassinating someone who may have committed genocide, so it's kind of like, should he have just let Elektra kill the guy? Like, he's he's in this moral territory that's way, you know, beyond his pay grade, mm-hmm. and he's not sure. Mm-hmm. Just gotta call out the uh, the art for Elektra sucks. That like, is a Frank Cho it, Elektra, and let's just that say that she is? is looking thick. Yeah, I mean, like, the, it's... That is borderline that is Frank pornographic. Style, like it's horrible. I, I hated it. <laughs> Have you never encountered the work of Frank Cho before? Apparently not. He's uh, a big time his... uh, cheesecake artist. I mean, he is supremely popular amongst that uh, that you know fan base, and uh, that's that is a hundred percent, hundred percent. It was just thing. like it. Her back was always arched <laughs> in all of this like 
boobs out, butt out, like spine arched, you know, like legs spread at all times possible. Just like really, really gross. Um, I don't know, because I'm not one who's just like, ugh, they're, they look sexy, gross, I hate it. Like, all the time, you know? Like, I don't, I don't think it's just bad to have any kind of, like, sexualization or, like, even a little titillation when it's just, I don't know, it, it just borders into this kind of, like, it, it's just gross. I mean, it's embarrassing, right? Like, it's embarrassing I, to be reading this stuff. <laughs> I definitely, if we're going to talk about it, there are... Frank Cho is is a little more complicated to me because generally speaking, he yes, that is he, he does the sexualized women, but he also has like a very he's very dedicated to like anatomy in ways that the hypersexualization comics stereotype is not. Like he's sure. he's drawing I mean, like I, I real women, good. <laughs> like moving, yeah, uh, you know, uh, k- kind kind of. But his, I mean, like his interpretation, like they're, yes, they are clearly sexualized, and I mean, Electra's costume is inherently that, right? Like if you're yeah. going to show her from the back crouching, you're getting a lot of butt, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, well, it's just like there are ways of doing that that are not just like every action pose of her is basically her like posing in Playboy. You know, yeah, like, yeah, it, that, it, that's clearly intentional. I'm on his Wikipedia page. Cho is noted for his figure drawing, precise lines and depiction of well-endowed women. <laughs> that's the, like, yeah, right. The it's his thing. Um, I, if, if your if your take on Cho's art is this is gross and oversexualized, I get that. I actually don't. Yeah. I don't get hit with that as hard from him. I just have to say I don't Um, as yeah, sure. say like the Greg Horn uh, covers of Electro oh, from this time we'll, that are just yeah, like we'll that, that sort of soft yeah. core porny thing or yeah, we'll, like we'll um, talk about I think he was the cover it's... artist on Marvel our, our least favorite comic of all time that we did mm, in the Patreon mm-hmm. special those to me are, are that embarrassing level that you're describing whereas Cho I actually do think like he's also he is telling a story um, uh, see the Marvel thing doesn't as bad actually the Marvel thing doesn't seem as embarrassing because at least that's like what sh- kind like of a 15 supposed year old it is, but it's like, I think those are supposed to be, like, kind of big and cheesy. This was not. This was, like, Electra's on the job, but also, like, you know, her ass is always, like, arced up, like, and, you know, you you can kind of see her butt cheeks from the front. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about, like, leaning Frank into Frank Cho's a big Miss New Booty guy, right? Better for me. You know, like, if it matches the, like, the cheesy tone, like, if you're kind of going for it, but this, it was just, like... How dare you compliment Marvel? How dare you? I mean, Mar- sorry, Marvel's in my top ten comics that we've read so far. So I we were just I talking did... before the show. You're like, oh, I think we agree on a lot of things. Oh, da, yeah, da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm how dare with Marvel. Marvel. Someone on the uh, I, I've been doing some more streaming of uh, of comics on Twitch, and someone like jokingly suggested going through Marvel, and I genuinely think that would be a fun time. Like going through that comic like painfully slowly and just like i don't know laughing at how horrible it is do you Um, also think it would be fun to pepper spray yourself on the stream (laughs) and stick bamboo shoots up your nails that's how you get those numbers baby on twitch yeah um live stream yeah so i I like this i generally like the idea of him going from here to here he goes to daredevil you know and like ask for advice he goes to the fantastic four get some advice um they tie up that thread from the comics from ultimate spider-man where like they had to go in front of the class and uh and like present as a superhero and he gives a nice little speech about his father how his father was a superhero his superhero to him not literally yes yes um, that is and good. uh yeah i think i think it works and i think it really works because it has that showcase of art like the showcase of art showcase of art is really fun um i mean bill sinkevitz gets some really cool stuff here and i want to call out ashley wood who mm-hmm. uh who's doing stuff that i thought was sinkevitz 
because um, yeah, it was so cool. Yeah, I had that, I had like, that mistake too, actually. There were a couple times where I was like, oh, this yeah. must be Bill. And no, it actually wasn't. Um, yeah, yeah, she doesn't n- do much at Marvel. Like, I, oh, it's not a she. It's a he. Um, Ashley Wood is a man. Uh, he's an Australian comic book artist. But he does um, like the covers for 30 Days of Night. I think people might be familiar with that. He worked on Spawn. He did Metal, the Metal Gear Solid comic, which is like very, very much this style. So... Um, yeah, it's cool. Like the it. artist showcase is is definitely interesting. It's also if you read Bendis's uh, note at the very end of this, he talks about you know this being the swan song for team up as his plate kind of picks up, like, which at is this weird. Point in time it does, he's what feel, why is that it feels weird? nothing like I don't know. This doesn't feel like it's wrapping up team up. This feels like well, it, have... it's weird to consider it as the finale of an era of yeah. a because this book yeah. is so like no, I'm I'm waiting and ready for this to be done. <laughs> this yep. is because he he talks about having like other plans for characters, and I'm like. I'm kind of like it's a really good thing we didn't get that <laughs> because these are <laughs> yeah. so contradictory for the way the the ultimate universe is actually going to progress. But the one thing you mentioned is like, you know, we got this superstar selection of artists. These are going to be the artists of this generation of the 2000s. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting to yeah. look at the list in ways where like he was wrong and where he was right cuz so many of them like John Romita Sr., Al Milgram, um Mark Bagley, obviously, Bill Sienkiewicz, P. Craig Russell. These are all names like they've been around the block. They've already done it. Dave Gibbons <laughs> from Watchmen. Like they've already done yeah, a lot of good work. Yeah, yeah. These are not up and comers. But then you've got Alex Malief about to go on to superstardom with Bendis on Daredevil. You've got Frank Cho, who obviously is going to become a really big name through this decade. You've got Craig Thompson, the uh, kind of like autobiographical style on Blankets, which is one of the biggest graphic yeah, novels. Yeah, I liked, I liked his little segment, yeah. It's weird to see him doing Marvel work um, and his style, it's very stylistic and, like, atypical, but it's kind of fun uh, to see that play out. You got Michael Gatos, who who Bendis is teaming up with on Alias, Jessica Jones, at this time as well. So it, it's a cool little, like, I don't know, kind of historical, like, precursor of of some of the art to come, I guess. And, and the direction, um, the direction art styles are moving, obviously, like... If we didn't talk about this with Hitch on Ultimates, we definitely will today. But just, like, the Ultimate Universe art is so 2000s. It is so clearly that transitional step from what people associate with 90s art and all the cross-hatching and just, like, insane, overcrowded detail and just the Mm -hmm. smoothness and clarity and cinematic nature of of the style. Because if you pick up an issue of Ultimates or even Ultimate Spider-Man with Bagley and you just look at the layout right now, just look at one page in the layout. You're like, this could be a 2020 comic. It it would not be weird if this was a 2020 comic. There are differences, certainly, right? Some things have changed. Um, yeah. Probably with yeah, Bagley I... in particular, that one might look a little more dated. Uh, but definitely with Hitch, th- those I yes. see, and it's yeah, like, Hitch, yeah, this Hitch is the style much still. more modern. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're moving towards that, like, 2000s house style, which I generally actually kind of hate. Um, the, like, the DC Marvel house style, which is, like, very smooth and very polished and shiny um there's a lot of that that i, I dislike but we haven't we haven't gotten to a, a big example of that so far like i, I kind of like everything here in the marvel universe it's on the right side of that that look for me um yeah yeah i like i like this um yeah i don't think we should we should linger too much longer on this we have a lot more to get through speaking yeah. of getting through things uh, <laughs> spider-man has to get through some um some tricky situations in this next arc that was actually like pretty good for your, okay. for your standards yeah. of transition. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so Ultimate Spider-Man, the first story arc, is the return of the Green Goblin. It is the big one that mm-hmm. uh, we've kind of been waiting for since that first arc. And it is very, very good. Uh, this is yeah. definitely one of the biggest 
story arcs that Bendis and Bagley have put together because not only does it bring Storm and Norman Osborn back into the fray, right? The Osborns are back, Norman's back in his penthouse, and like basically like nothing has changed. Um, the world doesn't seem to know he's the Green Goblin, despite the fact that obviously Peter Parker does. And not only does Peter Parker, but as he uh, is sort of introduced to here, so does S.H.I.E.L.D. This is where Bendis really begins to weave in S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury as connective parts of the Ultimate Spider-Man universe. Whereas Stan and Steve, they know Spider-Man, right? Probably Nick Fury knows he's Peter Parker even. You know, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, They they stay in their own lanes, right? They don't really infiltrate Spider-Man's small-time, you know, crime fighting. In the Ultimate Universe, they do. Like, like the, the sense of Nick Fury in this Ultimate Universe, this S.H.I.E.L.D., and again, I think this yeah. is definitely like a post-9-11 Homeland Security type approach, is they, they're watching everything very closely. And they are plugged into the fact that they have a 16-year-old boy running around in Spider-Man costume <laughs> fighting yeah. monsters, right? I, I have a question. Is, is this, because this is like what I think of when I think of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the modern day, is the ultimate version. Is this how it works in the 616 at the same time? Like, is S.H.I.E.L.D. so... S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury so plugged into everybody else? It will move that way, um, but a lot of that is, like, actually Bendis as the storyteller still. I would say say Ultimate Universe plugs it in more thoroughly earlier in these characters' careers, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure, right? Um, But, I mean, no, not really. Like, it's... (laughs) S.H.I.E.L.D. becomes this. But again, like, the 616 kind of follows ultimate universe themes or ideas throughout this decade so generally you can spot the origin in ultimate and then you can see it maybe a few years later start to come through a little more thoroughly um in so the mcu is the mcu is kind of parroting this right with like the avengers being formed by shield captain america working with shield and then oh yeah until it breaks down okay i mean the mcu avengers is is thoroughly thoroughly inspired by it's weird ultimates. it's like kind of thoroughly inspired by the ultimates except when it comes to the actual characters right because the the yeah. mcu does not have that cynicism in that kind of like all oh, these are like dark messy people like generally you know tony stark maybe is the exception but not to the same degree at all tony stark's probably the closest um whereas captain america is is taking the straight, 616 straight characterization 616, yeah. putting him into the 1610 scenario same same with thor yeah uh, Thor's Thor's um, a little messier, but um, yeah, no, it's it, it's it's definitely a newer thing. I think this is this is clearly of a piece with like Spider-Man in the MCU, and also like if you watch any of the Spider-Man animated yeah. stuff that's been coming out, like he's an agent of Shield. Like it's just a uh, like that is just yep. kind of his life. Um, Ultimate it it toys with that, and then it sort of takes it away by the end of this arc because Spider-Man doesn't actually want to be a part of shield you know yeah well because he's a teen boy and this is like way too overwhelming for him which i think is the most successful thing about both the arcs that we read today is just i think bendis does an excellent job of really making you feel the pressure he's under like the the like pressure and the vice that he's being squeezed in by first the green goblin and also nick fury and then later by this impersonator um yeah it's just like so effective like you really feel the panic in that like there's no way out and things are just getting worse and worse and worse. I think it does a good job because we sometimes we talk about six one six Spider Man and like you know, sometimes people complain he's kinda whiny, 
right? Like he's got all these problems, and but he's just kind of whiny. And it's like you have superhero superpowers. What gives? Why are you so fussy? I think this what? it would be a hard. <laughs> is this, I don't is know. This I, a common I mean, Spider-Man take? Yeah, yeah. I think some people who don't like Spider-Man kind of don't like him because he's kind of you know he's always having those Spider-Man no more feelings, right? And it's just like he is very awash in in guilt and um and worry at all times. I guess that's fair. Right, and I think this it would be hard to read this and say like he's just being whiny because like it is undeniable that he is completely overwhelmed and way in over his head and well and norman osborne is is gd terrifying like when he shows up so harry comes back to school and they're excited harry invites him over and peter doesn't want to do this because he knows norman is the green goblin and he knows norman knows he's spider-man right so they've already got that piece of the puzzle you know like you've you that that tense I know your Spider-Man moment, um, whether it be from Homecoming, yeah. you know, with with Michael Keaton, um, or obviously like the dinner scene in the Sam Raimi Green Goblin Spider-Man, or of course back in the Stan Steve days when Green Goblin shows up on his front lawn, um, you know, in in those final some of those final issues they did together, uh, it, yeah. it brings all that tension. But it, this is definitely, I I don't know if it's the most menacing norman's ever been but it's real close like he is yeah he is scary he is frequently nude in front of peter (laughs) (laughs) um and he's got a shark tank in his penthouse office so like this is big bad super villain stuff yeah i mean he does you know he lays it out really clearly like i know who you are i (laughs) yeah the 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 shark is the the second uh scariest thing in all this um (laughs) the real mastermind here yeah norman says like i know who you are i created you you are mine. You will do what I say, or I'll uh, I'll kill your aunt in front of you, or I'll kill Mary Jane in front right. of you. Right. And then he threatens to like beat him like to an inch of his life, let him recover, and just as he's feeling better, kill him. Like yeah, you know it, it is very scary, very cold and methodical. And then he backs it up by like putting a needle in his neck and uh, you know like turning into the Green Goblin, showing him um, he can control the transformation. I do want to jump off of what you just said too. There are there's a thematic connection here too. Of there are two adult men telling Spider-Man that they own him in this story. Yeah. The first is Norman Osborn. I know everything about you. I created you. You're mine. The second is Nick Fury at the end of the story. Nick Fury does not come out as like a nice guy here or any kind of ally, you know? Not at all. And and Bendis does a little, a little with sympathy toward like him expressing sympathy towards Spider-Man when Spider-Man's not looking kind of thing, you know, kind of like poor kid (laughs) stuff. But, but he literally tells him when you're 18, I own you. Um, yeah. And it's uh, it, two very harsh realities, again, creating the sense of just complete overwhelming life for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. it's really effective. Yeah, I think so, too. Especially, like, at the end of this arc, you know, Green Goblin is finally defeated. Nick Fury comes in to mop things up. And that's when he, like, puts that on him. And it's just, like, he doesn't get a moment. You know, like, one threat's gone and another, like, threat gets introduced to, like, loom over him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the no other parallels we have here... I, I mean, I also think we've talked a lot about how Bendis, like, sometimes is like, well, here's Craven the Hunter, and you're just going to get a Craven the Hunter story. And it's, you know, it's not that different from what you've seen. Here's a Doc Ock story. It's not that different from the mm-hmm. Doc Ock you've always known. Mm-hmm. I think he's doing a good job being like, this is the Green Goblin. And it's, like, they're all recognizably the characters you know and already are familiar with. But also, like, there's enough difference here that it really feels fresh. Right, like him transforming into this goblin, he does this incredible sequence where, like, he meets Peter on a rooftop on one one issue. He meets him on a rooftop, and they have this conversation that you know, kind of, with the Green Goblin saying, like, "You're def- you're gonna defy me, fine. Like, you choose the path of blood." I think he calls it something like that. Um, and it's then cool. he flies. That's off a cool the... thing to say. That that's a yeah, Doctor Doom right. quote right there. 
Yeah. He, um, I wish, um, he, he flies off the roof, grabs Mary Jane and kidnaps her. That's how the issue ends. The next issue, it like backs up 10 minutes. You see Norman Osborn inject himself and then you get the entire same, the same exact sequence from Norman Osborn's perspective. But when he is transformed into the Green Goblin, he's got this like, these weird little demon spirit things that right. like hang around him talking to him like all the voices in his head are these strange little like ghostly blobs right that are just always around him and he's just getting all these conflicting voices in his head so you get the literally like line for line the same exact scene but this time like from Norman Osborn's and it just drives home how scary this guy is because it's like, a really experimental gamble too like I don't want to yeah. undersell like not it's just half- for you know superhero comics or something like it's a really experimental technique that could easily fall on its face and you just be yeah. like why am I reading the scene again but actually what it does is yeah it creates that sense of paranoia it creates the sense that Norman Osborn is extremely unwell um, there's also mm-hmm. a there's like a dream like like what is happening because all the voices he's hearing like there's some of it's like scientific data and some of it's you know this weird like you know menacing villainous stuff and it just, none of it makes sense their voices are they see Peter Parker and it's like kill him kiss him hug him like slit his throat like mm-hmm. you know it, it's these like conflicting things and and it kind of takes away the idea that you've had till now that Norman Osborn is just like pure cold calculating you know like yes, th- that's what's yes. been going on in his head because now it's like oh he's so much scarier because he clearly like has a lot more going on and is way more unstable than he lets on and so that leads into I think uh, you know kind of an, an echo of the Gwen Stacy getting dropped off the George yes. Washington Bridge by yes. Green Goblin which is that Mary Jane gets kidnapped brought to the top of the bridge and dropped off and he kind of does the fake out here Spider-Man jumps down to save her and the end of the issue is like oh, is Mary Jane dead because you know like most people would know about the Gwen Stacy story. She's not. She's okay. She's just incredibly traumatized. Um, which is fair. And which is yeah, fair. To- I mean, that's <laughs> another great thing is that, like, Mary Jane and the uh, the original one, you know, like, Mary Jane and Aunt May. I guess Aunt May usually doesn't know she's being kidnapped or is in, like, actual danger <laughs> when that happens. But, yeah. like, you know, Mary Jane gets, like, into all these supervillain scuffles in 616 and kind of comes out the other side just like bubbly Mary Jane. So um, I think it's nice that, like, that kind of comes home. We, we can talk about that at the end of this. Um, oh, uh, this is a good time. Is any to bring up? Probably my one biggest problem in all of this, and this is not a storytelling problem, it's just kind of a uh, cultural critique, is this is the year that they decided what a funny joke it is to call a straight guy gay. This happens like, a ton, not only in Ultimate like Spider-Man, three... but it happens in Ultimates a bunch, too. Like, it I runs mean, the ulti- through the entire line. And it's just like, it's so 2003 where it's just like, we can talk about it, but mostly it's a punchline to even think of. And the thing is, it's, it's not even it's the It's a repetition. Like, go ahead. Go all, ahead. The, all the good kids make fun of Flash by pretending that he's gay. Like Harry Osborn is like, hey, do you come out of the closet? And like Kong and Gwen Stacy are, you know, like teasing him for like, and he's just like, shut up, guys. And it's supposed to be like <laughs> the worst thing in the world for Flash is to, you know, for people to think he's gay and it's fun to pile on. It just sucks. It's the it's the not that there's anything wrong with that of of jokes just over mm-hmm. and over and over, um, which like again very era specific, not surprising in yeah, any in stinks. any measure. I mean, yeah. Um, but if you're reading it now and you didn't grow up in junior like, high in the 2000s and you, and you don't need to be exposed to this, uh, you know it's not. It's, it's not I mean, fun. I think it's not even the bullies. That's the like the really rough part is like it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be like reveling in how uh you know flesh. Flash, I keep wanting to call him Flash Gordon. Um, 
That would be a how, That would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> if that's his secret identity. Yeah. Um, you're supposed to be, like, kind of cheering along with all the, you know, the kids, like, making Flash feel this bad, right? They're, like, getting back at him by calling him gay. It sucks. Um, and then, you know, we get the, well, I can just bring it up now, like, that, uh, you know, the, the Mark Miller joke of, uh, the, thinking that the aliens are calling him sissy in the punchline of, like, no, Hulk straight. And it's like, God, it, literally... It's Every a big, single time. It is literally a bolded, oversized punchline. It's like a half <laughs> page of yeah. layout. And uh, boy, Every time it, Mark boy Millar does it goes for, crickets. <laughs> Every time he goes for a joke, like, that's more than just kind of a, a tossed aside joke, it never lands. He has, I, I, I mean, I liked this batch of Ultimates quite a bit. Yeah. Like, Mark yeah, Millar's yeah. sense of humor is just falling on deaf ears here. It's terrible. I think he's he the worst sense of humor. He's a really creative storyteller, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. he's generally quite good at collaborating with Hitch and creating a, a real oversized cinematic menace. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. His sense of humor is the worst. <laughs> like yeah, all of his terrible. jokes, all of his jokes are awful. Um, I literally can't think of what there's, there's a few little jokes that like are kind of like funny details in X-Men that I like, you know, like that Cyclops and Toad bond over Lord of the Rings. That's kind of funny. Uh, blob catfishing beast, like I think those are funny details, but like punchline jokes where he's like setting up jokes. Yeah. And like with a, a setup and a punchline. Terrible. Yeah. Awful stuff. I mean, even Brian Michael Bendis, who I don't laugh at all the time, I don't cringe very often. It's usually when he only slips into like homophobic or ableist stuff. Because again, he's having like Gwen Stacy say stuff, like toss the R word around, you know. Yeah, it, it is like if you want to be like, well, people said that in junior high, you're right. It's still uncomfortable. To read, yeah, well, don't um, don't put it better. in your heroes' mouths, right? Don't put it in like the characters, especially the characters that we're supposed to like. And you know, because he's absolutely not doing it. Like, oh, I'm just you know making our heroes say it because that's realistic. It stinks, you know. Um, so there's a there's one issue between. Do you, do you have anything else to say about the Green Goblin arc? Well, we should mention here. There's a, a few developments going on as. Peter is ultimately stopping the Green Goblin, and despite the fact that you know he does succeed in throwing Mary off a bridge, um, the Shield, Nick Fury in particular, tells him basically like, "Let him lash out at you and your close ones, and then we'll catch him in the act and bring yeah. him down." Which Awful. is again just this this the Shield does not come off well in this. I think it's no. important to note Nick Fury in particular. Um, they do that, and then you know eventually, basically, they are not able to bring Green Goblin down. Obviously, without Spider Man's tremendous aid. Um, but they do bring yeah. him down. Harry Harry Osborn does also. He's back. He's being hypnotized by his dad and uh, and Professor Warren. We should note. And uh, and Harry wakes up mid battle and sees that the Green Goblin was his dad and that Peter Parker is Spider Man essentially. And that's kind of where we leave. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I guess that's uh, a good so. Point, that's yeah. that's a development that obviously will matter. Um, and Shield kind of takes away. I think both of the Osborns actually. Uh, in their own yeah. private, yes. you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever they're going to do with them. So, uh, and then the other thing that's happening here is Gwen Stacy is uh, she has moved in to stay with the Parkers because her uh, mom just up and leaves, and uh, yep. her dad, uh, Captain Stacy, is like traveling all the time and a police officer, and I guess Gwen can't be at home alone. So, and oh, she's kind of yep. like maybe suicidal. Like she's talking about, you know, like she she's saying suicidal things um so i think they're worried about in like kind of a jokey well. way but also like a little too often <laughs> for comfort you know and also she carries a switchblade um, to school and maybe we should 
Fantastic. That's, that's a good point. And, yeah. and protector. Yeah. So, uh, so Aunt May and, and Peter volunteer. This throws a a little bit of a romantic wrench in it. Although there's never really like a oh Peter and Gwen getting together vibe. No, not um, really. Mary it's... is like you. You have this other girl who loves you in your house, and and I think the teenage mental hula hoops there actually do add up. Um, yeah. No, I think all that plays out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I think all that works. I think Aunt Mary Jane is like really interesting here. Um, she gets one of my favorite lines in. Um, we have one little like one shot issue in the middle here, mm-hmm. where Peter Parker sees that the Rhino is like destroying like downtown Manhattan or something, and he's yeah. trying to get out of school. Oh, it's such go... a good issue. This is such a good you know, issue. I, I have thoughts about this, but is it twenty eight? I, th- I think it's twenty eight. I think this is one of my favorite issues of Ultimate Spider Man. All right, let, let me make this. Mar- the Mary Jane line is so good because she's watching on TV. Like Peter Parker runs off to go for this fight, and she's watching the Rhino on TV, and she yeah. says in like a sing songy, sing songy voice, "My boyfriend's gonna kick your butt." And yeah. like, it's so much fun. Like that, she is. You know, this is still when she is enjoying. Actually, it kind of doesn't make sense that this is after the Green Goblin stuff, but she's still really enjoying having a superhero boyfriend. Like, it's still really fun for her. And that, uh, I could. I mean, you could. You could oscillate. Yeah. You could be conflicted. I. Sure, I do think sure. too. Like this ultimate. I like this ultimate MJ a lot. Um, yeah. And I, I see so much of her inspiring. Like, for example, the character interpretation in uh, PS4 Spider Man. You know this this kind of like MJ who is out and capable and kind of doing her thing we're going to see more of that as the ultimate spider-man develops um but it, it is it's a bit different than just like model waiting at home mj even though she's not that, that yeah. yeah perception yeah. kind of sticks in 616 a little bit yeah well she also like she's really involved with peter parker right, right. like she's always providing cover for him she's running rushing him like medical supplies and like helping him like she is supporting him she's mc in Ned. material ways right like she's yeah, mcu yeah. what Ned. Yes, Ned. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, but this it's more middle fun. issue. You you want to know my take on this middle issue? Uh, how this should have been number one. This Ooh. should have been issue number one. Like, I disagree this, strongly, but that's interesting. No, this is the best like start to like set because I think this is his most successful kind of like playful setting up that you know Peter Parker just can't catch a break. He's just a kid in high school. Yeah, I think this would have been a great number one, and then like flashback if you want to the because uh, I, I think to this the how we got really, here with his powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, intersperse that with, like, other, you know, kind of concurrent, like, current day storytelling. I hear, and then, like, I hear what you're saying. But I think regard. this makes a great first issue. Because this is such a fun issue. Like, he, he just needs to get out of school. But it's just, like, there's a parent-teacher thing with Aunt May. He runs into Aunt May in the hall. Like, he, uh, you know, c- can't get around the principal. Like, he can't leave school to go right. fight this battle. And then, finally, when he gets there... Iron Man has it all wrapped up. Iron Man has already taken so down the Rhino. Good. Yeah, it's, it's great. So funny. Like, I I think Bendis is doing. This is my favorite batch of Ultimate Spider-Man we've read so far. Yeah, I think he's like. Th- there's a few little like eye rolly lines here and there, like cops talking like teenage boys. Um, but overall, I think this is his most successful like balancing that banter and not having it seem. Like the feeling I got when I read Powers was that the banter is entirely superfluous and. Uh, just an aesthetic touch that actually doesn't add anything like it's not helpful to the story at least powers number one so take that you know with a grain of salt yeah um, zach read one issue and came down hard oh, I on powers couldn't, i barely could finish that first issue rough, yeah yeah rough i watched uh but, the first 30 seconds of elite battle angel um and it sucks you I, all i saw was this lion roaring you know and like a logo <laughs> it was awful yeah, made by Sony, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that wouldn't be right. <laughs> yeah, it was a good guess. Um, yeah, I think this year, 
he's really like fine tuned that like that the the banter that like quick back and forth really lends itself to the kind of like manic frantic energy that peter parker is having because he is so like stressed out right like yeah the conversations are heightened and it works in that situation a lot more um yeah it's good i uh, i really i really like these uh bagley's faces we, we were just talking about this on the slack and i think it Bagley's faces. That is I a, think you had a strong transition. Yeah, yeah, so you're bagging Bagley's on Bagley. Face. Before you bag on Bagley again, because you do this every episode, uh, mm-hmm. Mark Bagley is a very consistent, literally record-breakingly consistent Spider-Man artist. His Bendis and Bagley collaboration mm-hmm. here extends for more issues than Stan and Jack on Fantastic Four. They broke the oh, record. It's like a hundred and for most issues in a row, eight hundred and twelve, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's somewhere crazy. in that range. So the consistency yeah, and the output, and let's give artists some credit here, producing mm-hmm. issue after issue, month after month, nobody does that. Literally, nobody had yeah. done that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is super strong. I also have to point out art for Brian Michael Bendis in yes, this era, yeah. as he decompresses the heck out of comics and has nine grid panels of faces talking for three mm-hmm. straight pages. That's a yeah. heck of a lot of faces to draw. Yes. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it yeah. can create an aesthetic sort of like reuse of faces like Michael Gatos does in Alias. I think he's an artist better suited for that. Bagley's strengths are superhero costumes and action. So yes. being yep. asked to do that on repeat time and time again is not necessarily playing to his strengths. And like I said, he's also putting out a remarkable amount of these issues. So... With all of that in mind, I have to say, I really like the work Mark Bagley does on Ultimate Spider-Man. He creates a very distinct... You pick up an issue or look at a page, you know it's an Ultimate Mm -hmm. Spider-Man comic. Every time. You can pick any page out of any USM comic. I'm going to know because of his distinctive style. Um, And also Bendis' word balloons spiraling around the page. (laughs) Right? Like, there's a vibe to these books. Now, if you don't like Bagley's style... It does not change. This is Bagley's style. That is the part of the consistency, too. Like, if you if you think there's something wrong with this, which I disagree with, you're in for 110-ish issues of, of complaints. You know what I mean? Like, it's not—his style is his style at this point. Yeah. Um, I, and probably remains I, I that think way I've today. Been, I think I've been fair about no, that, that it's not wrong. like— Completely right. disagree. You're so unfair. <laughs> I, I have not been—like, it is literally focused on— not even his style necessarily, but the like consistency of faces where, you know, I pulled out a few panels today where like Gwen's eyes are not looking in the same direction, <laughs> you know, pulling like out, stuff like I, that. I just, I have to, come on, pulling out panels of it's, digitized it, it's comics that were not even available digitally when these things were produced as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It is such a cheap shot at artists that are otherwise doing good work. But I, I think it's I am funny sometimes at... here and there, but like they, they were not designed for this level of scrutiny. Literally. That's fair. That's fair. But I am not plucking out, like, I read 12 issues of Ultimate Spider-Man. Here's the one panel that looks a little wonky. Like, you you can find a few pages per issue where, like, uh, he's trying to express, you know, like, happiness, but all is coming across is absolute mania. Like, wild-eyed mania. (laughs) That's a real... But that's kind of that's kind of the Marvel thing is like Stan jumping on tables saying this this level of expressive is what I want. I mean, that's Jack Kirby 101 is no, you over exaggerate like, the expression to convey emotion because it's, no, a, it's no, a limited it's, medium. No, it's trying to express one thing and it's expressing a entirely different emotion. I think that that's what I'm talking about. Not like that. It's too amped up. Um, but 
I just want to say, like, I think you are right with all that. I think you were like totally correct. And I think I have given him credit and should give him a lot of credit for his layouts and his action and his superhero costumes and like villain costumes, I think are all great. Like, I think there was a double splash page here of Spider-Man totally deserves the double splash page. It's a ton of fun. He great. He draws like his anatomy is great. I love like how he draws Spider-Man. I love Green Goblin's design. Like all that really works for me. It's literally just the faces sometimes slip into an uncanny valley thing. But like I think you what are totally I, I don't know what that is. Uncanny Valley. Mm-hmm. Um it's the idea of like I think it's usually used in robotics, um, or but also like they talk about it in computer generated people, where it's like if you are the closer to reality you get, the more uncanny it feels, right? right? Because humans are really, really fine tuned to read faces. Right? Like our brains are evolved to look at other humans' faces and read them. So like stuff like the Polar Express right like looks really wild to us whereas the incredibles doesn't because those are cartoony it's intentionally cartoony it doesn't try to get yeah, too real right exactly i, I don't think he's going for hyper realistic here um but no, i think it's stylistic that, i mean it's yeah. it's we've talked guess, about kind of that like almost mangaish interpretation of like eyeballs in particular like there, there was actually so i compared it to i compared it to that craig thompson thing where like he his characters in that the little couple pages we saw were always inconsistent. Like I think that oh, was the one yeah. I was looking at. Right. But like Kong's head was a different shape boulder in every panel he was in. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like uh-huh. and and th- I think that helps. But Bagley I don't think is going for that. I think he's trying to be consistent. But like you are right. But he is. He, he deserves... <laughs> on a macro scale. He's incredibly consistent. Yeah, I guess he's consistently inconsistent. If that's what you're trying to say, I don't know. No, no, not like, at all. I am saying he is. He is I think Peter Parker just so looks, much of this consistently. But Peter Parker always looks like Peter Parker. You're saying there might he's be weird faces with in his particular like, panels here and there. Pate. Yeah, yeah. That, that's all. That's all I'm saying. Um, I just, yeah, I, 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 to me though, like literally, and I know this is this is going to sound angrier than I mean it, but who cares? Like, does this actually change your interpretation of an issue? Like, it just never has slowed me down before. I don't get it. Uh, no, not hugely, not hugely, but to a degree, there is there's a. I mean, you know, there is like you're reading a comic that just has like that the art just sings and you never, ever notice anything funky about it. Right. Like if that if his faces never had that weird, you know, like cockeyed expression or Peter Parker once in a while just looks like a different human being than he Mm -hmm. always has been before. I'd probably like this more. You know, it's not like a huge variation, but like we're here to talk about the art. I'm going to talk about the thing that, you know, is Bagley's. I think his weakness but I think his strengths definitely outweigh his weaknesses. Like, like it, I think it the, as like one criticism of him means that I like dislike the whole thing because again, his action, like you said, is well, we do have great. a segment called Bagging on Bagley. So I mean, it's <laughs> clearly yeah, and, and wait till you get to me talking you. about Mark Bagley's actual human face because I got thoughts. Yeah, it gets about real personal. It gets real <laughs> personal, real fast. I I know. I I hear what you're saying. Um, I I don't like. I've seen. You know, I saw the Slack thing you pointed out today. Like, obviously, people in the club. Um, are in agreement in terms of faces being weird. So I, when I'm asking, like, is this actually impeding your your progress through a comic? I'm actually asking. I did like a point. No, no. Uh, I mean, I, I, believe... I read all. Tw- oh, sorry, sorry. No, sorry. I did like a point that I believe um, Charlotte made in the Slack today. Uh, mm-hmm. Patreon supporter Charlotte, thank you. You can go on over to Patreon.com/slash/MyMarvelShow if you want to do <laughs> okay. the same. Okay, all right. And uh, I like the point she made, which was that he draws the teenage girls in particular very similar this was not a thing mm-hmm. i had noticed and then i like was scanning a couple pages and mj and gwyn if you just change their hair color you'd have no idea <laughs> i mean <laughs> which, that is the which ca- one yeah, we're talking. That, that is a like joke i used to make with uh i mean same thing with ben urich and pete 
Peter Parker. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Ben Urich looks like an older version of Peter Parker, which honestly, I don't really mind. Like, I don't mind that too much. I mean, Jack Kirby did the same thing. I made that same joke about uh, Jack Kirby. Kirby, totally. Kirby has Kirby. one one face speed. <laughs> he has he has one eyeball <laughs> yeah. separation and and style. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. yeah. So it, yeah, yeah. Th- definitely that's probably somewhat common across comic artists. But I no, these I mean these like we've always said. I I read thirteen of these in I don't know eighty minutes. Like something. I mean today's entire thing of comics took me two hours, maybe. Yeah, right. Like I mean they go down so easy. Like that is a testament despite... to to artists and pacing as well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like right. his pacing, his layouts, excellent. Excellent yeah. stuff. Like yeah. that that is never a problem with him. It's and I think the reason like, I'm reacting somewhat strongly today is one, because you gave me a little heads up you were gonna talk about it, so I I was able to think. Um but yeah. also because uh this is this is my favorite Mark Bagley work. Um yeah. so I do either he's an artist that I don't like a lot or I should celebrate his favorite work. Like when he's with Matt Fraction on Fantastic Four in 2012, I think those comics are really shoddy artwork. Like I really Mm. don't think those come together. So I want to celebrate when we're talking about his, what I would say is his best work. I mean, I like this more than his stuff on Maximum Carnage in the nineties. I like this more than his new warriors. Um, I think this is the best work. His current Venom stuff is kind of fine. Currently Um, on Venom with Donnie Cates. Exactly. Like I like this a a lot more than that. So that's I do true. Want to call I, I mean, that, a, a it, it really down. dragged down the the current Venom, which also is like well, that story that story's to... dragging itself down as well. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that's fair. fair. Yeah. yeah, and also like in comparison to, I don't remember who the artist for the uh, the initial like twelve issues was, but Ryan Stegman. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is like such yeah. cool stuff. Um, yes. So, in all fairness, it probably like I, I should probably make clear how much I think like how much of this works compared to what doesn't, right? Because sometimes it's easy to, like, point out the things that I don't think work. And I think it's totally fair to say he has weird faces sometimes. But, like, I think the action and the layout, like, vastly, you know, overwhelm that. And, you know, it's actually usually okay. Like, I don't don't actively dislike this as I'm reading it. I'm not – this is not lock and key where the style of the faces genuinely turns me off to the point where I don't like looking at it, <laughs> you know, like, which is, I think kind of a crazy take. More people will disagree with me on that. Lock and yeah, keyboard. I you really know what's funny don't, is, uh, I also don't like Joe Hill's writing at all. Every comic I've read by him just falls flat. For so we, this is a, a tangent, but I did do a, a lock and key reread, um, as the Netflix series approached. And it's, we actually did a deep dive on comic book Herald that, that may never see the light of day actually just because of circumstances. But, um, Definitely came down more negatively on Lock and Key than I expected to. Uh, I think yeah, there's not, really good big picture under... ideas. I don't want to do the whole review right now, yeah, but it's... I was more in agreement with you than I expected. Although I will say, Gabriel Rodriguez, the artist on that, he's phenomenal. He's really good. I, l- I actually I like I like all the art except for his faces. His faces just like freak me out, man. All right, like, I don't need the... you to answer this right now, but I, at some point, you're gonna have to say whose faces do you like? Because I, I want a counterpoint to understand like what it is you're looking for. Ooh, Saga. Saga's got good faces. Uh, well, that's that just feels like a cheat. Chew. Like if I, if I said, like, has good name faces. good dialogue, name good story, name good representation. Oh, you know like, who's Saga, got a Saga, great... Saga, Saga. Yeah, yeah. You know who's got great faces but uh, has a completely different problem with this is the um, the artist on 99 Bullets. Um, oh, God, I know 99 this. 99 um, Bullets. Isn't it a... Yeah. Uh, oh, 100 Bullets. It 100 it's Bullets? One, it's 100 Bullets. No. You short of a bullet? I, I stopped at issue 99. You read 99 um, Bullets? Yeah, yeah. You got, no, the, you got read... the off-brand imprint, man. Let me see. Uh, Eduardo Riso. Yeah. He's got uh-huh. such a distinct style. He's I love his style, guys. but I cannot tell his characters apart because they all have the same face. And well, it you becomes read... like, 
you read Edward Rizzo's art. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was Brian no, with a Y as Aurelio. That's like, okay, all right, let's let's get real. <laughs> like, yeah, that is, that a, is real. A, a real impediment to me enjoying 100 Bullets, which I write all 100 issues of, is I often was like, oh, which because they all wear black suits and that, and I'm like, yeah. which one are you? I genuinely don't know, because you all look the same, even though I love that style. I think his style is awesome. I just, yeah, I think there's a real talent that... It is worth pointing out when someone can do good enough character work that you are never in doubt about which character you're looking at. Um, Sounded like you said never in doubt about which character I'm looking at, and I'm always in doubt about which character I'm looking at. Zach just (laughs) threw up into a bucket, and moving on. All right. Okay, anything else on... uh, Oh, we got a second arc of USM here. Uh, This second arc is is a step back. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think sure. in a Which lot of ways, good. you know, we're yeah. catching our breath. Um, like I said, I love 28, 29 through 32 are a Spider-Man verse. What appears to be kind of a chameleon. Uh, it's yeah. a, you yeah. know, it's a guy in a Spider-Man costume doing crime. And this arc definitely was kind of boring to me in terms of the actual main plot. That said, there's a lot of big character stuff that happens here. There's also a huge moment that I don't think is handled great. Uh, what do you want to talk about first? Um, I think the overall the overall plot worked for me. I, I like. I mean, this I doesn't have kind of boring. Of the... Definitely comparatively to yeah. the Green Goblin okay. stuff. I mean, maybe, but I also appreciate them not always doing the big, you know, like yeah, enormous threats. Like this was more of a threat to like, oh, he can't go out in public anymore because the cops are going to shoot him, which they do. You know, and Peter Parker getting shot became a real thing, and it was a big deal for a while. Here, right. right? Like he has to. Worry well, I guess we about, should mention like, too. Like he's been. He's been like very. He has a very high PR rating after the Craven the Hunter thing because he was yep. on live yeah, yeah. TV stopping a menace, and now that is totally flipping. Yep. Where someone is doing crime, JJJ is giddy Ecstatic. running Spider Man menace yeah. headlines, and um, and and obviously we're flipping the narrative now, where Spider Man can't just go out in public and be celebrated. Yeah, and when he gets shot, like he has to worry about you know like getting home in time so that Aunt May doesn't worry. He needs to go to the hospital to get patched up, but like he can't you know, show himself as Peter Parker. So, like, right. he has to go to the hospital and then run away after they patch him up. Um, he needs to go to school the next day. Like, he can't take a day off school, like, while he's got a bullet wound. There's all these things that, like, make it feel really real. Um, I love, I love, like, the integration into the wider Marvel universe really works for me here because it's just enough. Like, it doesn't feel like he's always getting sucked into, Like the you wasp know, patching up his bullet wound? Yeah, you right, know? that, like, the it's wasp like pulls into the, the parking lot. And, uh, you know, like, talks shop with him for a little bit. And, you know, it's just a nice little cameo from the Wasp. Like, yeah. it's a good way of integrating the larger Ultimate Universe without, like, it feeling like a big cross... You know, it doesn't always have to be some kind of crossover thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I I thought this generally worked. Uh, what's the one thing that you think they didn't handle well? Oh, so this, in these issues, um, the fake Spider-Man shows up at a some sort of parade. And he's thieving something whatever is happening he's on top of a it's, car it, right in front of right in front of trump's taj mahal oh you is can it see in the I background yeah you that. can see yeah. trump taj mahal right in the background okay in atlantic city yeah yeah um and uh and the three policemen led by captain stacy they see this spider-man figure and they go and chase him down and what mm-hmm. is revealed uh later with gwen and peter coming home and seeing a police car and peter runs inside thinking something happened at may and the revelation is that captain stacy um he jumps on a bomb to save a little kid's life, essentially, and he dies. Yep. So we're getting that mirror of the death of Captain Stacy, which happened so effectively, um, backed by Stan and John Romita in, in the 60s. I think 
Captain Stacy here was developed as a pretty interesting Ultimate Universe character. Uh, much I thought like, him and Aunt May were going to start dating. There's like very clear hints of that, of them both being yeah, separated. Yeah, I thought that's where that was flirting, go. You know, whether they realize it or not. Maybe flirting is the wrong word, but clearly having something in common. And, yeah, um, and, and yeah. then they kill him off. And this felt to me like, like hitting an amazing Spider-Man beat for the sake of hitting an amazing beat because it's like it all kind of happens off panel and i don't know it 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 didn't work for me because because i like captain stacy you just don't get any actual captain stacy moments you know mm-hmm. whereas in amazing you know he has the moment obviously as the dad of gwen who's dating who has a relationship with spider-man at that point like they have a conversation and spider-man's blamed for his death and and that happens here too Spider-Man gets blamed for the murder, but it's all kind of, again, it all feels distant. It all feels sort of separate in a way where there's not that emotional resonance, I didn't think. Um, yeah. I don't know. It didn't feel like the right time to, to make this move. Uh, I, I don't think I minded because I don't really, like, I didn't need this to match the, the 616 version, you know, with the, like, him slowly finding out that Peter Parker was Spider-Man and maybe approving that he's dating his daughter, blah, blah, blah. Like, all that stuff didn't. I don't know. No, no, like, it's not, I, I it's not have... about that. It's about, I actually think it's the opposite. I think it's about, it tries to match it too hard. It tries to match like, well, mm-hmm. we have a Captain Stacy, we, we must kill him. Yeah, uh, I guess, I think it worked. I guess this is a case, it's probably, you know what it is? I mean, they're fridging uh, Captain Stacy for Gwen, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, instead right. Instead of the girlfriend. I mean, this is almost entirely about Gwen and not about Captain Stacy. Like, he's a secondary yeah. character in his own death. So sure, I can see that, but also I don't. I don't really care about Captain Stacy here. I kind of care about Gwen Stacy, and yes. this worked for me because I did not see this coming. Like I had read this and I forgot about it entirely. So the moment where they like they run in the house because there's cop cars, I was like, oh no, what's going on? And then it yeah, dawned yeah. on me what was happening. So that I don't know. That worked for me. It worked for me in that like it drives Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker together. Like I think it is a good catalyst for that. Right. Um, so in the wake of this, Gwen is she's going to move in with May and Pete you know, quote unquote permanently because she has nowhere yeah. else to go because her mom straight up doesn't want her. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, in that regard, I do like the Gwen as part of the household, mm-hmm. like yeah. end state that comes out of this. I just thought that particular beat didn't work very well. Um, mm-hmm. And I, again, like I like, I like that Ultimate Spider-Man is finding its own footing more and more in this era. Yeah. I think in yeah, the yeah. Goblin story, we see this particularly well, especially with the infusion of S.H.I.E.L.D. where Bendis is is getting a feel for what does my Ultimate Spider-Man look like? You know, so getting away from that sort of... The thing he did really well that we, that we complimented, you know, that kind of like, how do we faithfully adapt this? It's kind of moving a, a little bit away from that and being like, how, okay, we faithfully adapted this. How do we keep doing that but create our own world? I think that is where Ultimate Spider-Man is going to be the most interesting. I think our next yep. arc is Venom, so like that's really yep. where they're going to stake their claim on this idea. Um, but Captain Stacy to me felt like a kind of a needless throwback. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I like. Work. So I mean, the other thing that this drives is that Mary Jane is just as overwhelmed as Peter Parker with all this, right? Like mm. she feels like he is. You know, she's too terrified about what's going to happen to him all the time. She's just like in a constant state of anxiety worrying about him she has to lie to cover for him all the time she's upset that gwen moved has moved in and like peter is being a little too blasé about it maybe which i think is reasonable right like peter is just mostly like what do you mean i don't like gwen and expecting that to be it that to be enough for mary jane like if he just says like yeah i don't like her i like you and then mary jane's still like but can't you see why this bothers me and he's like no i don't understand like i think 
Mary Jane comes across as being like, I mean, not reasonable. Like I think they, I think they both come across as having a point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think so too. But like, I don't think it comes out. I mean, I think it is normal and reasonable for Mary Jane to be having this kind of emotional reaction, and Peter is exasperated and dealing with his own stuff and doesn't quite see her point of view clearly. I think it all works. You know, there's a good line. There's a good line from MJ too, as they have sort of the conversation at the end of this about like every time we talk it's all or he said something about like i didn't know that about your mom and he's like yeah because we always talk about you and right, your spider-man yeah. stuff <laughs> that's a really good line because it is like yeah if you're reading a spider-man comic like yes it's always from pete's perspective but but you, it also makes sense that like they just so wrapped up in this world that like he's not taking the time to ask about mary um yeah and yeah, yeah. guess we know he likes her loves her in this case um but like that i just thought that was like a really small fair very human line that kind of yeah. makes it make yeah, sense yeah. why why mj would be feeling this way and it's good because it like it does i don't know it does a good job of making like their relationship crumbling here sucks right like you like the two of them together but yeah. it's not really anyone's fault right like neither of them are at fault necessarily it's just kind of like this is the way things are right like things yeah and it's not that strong not working out like exactly exactly it's not that strong don't... like pete didn't show up to her thing you know, because yeah, he was busy. Right. It doesn't Spider-Man. feel contrived. I mean, that that's the big thing. It doesn't feel like some kind of contrivance where, like, right, like, you know, Peter Parker had to save a bus full of children, so he missed MJ's play, and now they broke up, and it's like, well, why can't she just see that he had to save a bus full of children, and like, mm-hmm. you know, something, something like that. It's just kind of like the pressures of everyday life in this, you know, between the two of them mm-hmm. are just too much. Yeah, I think it's very and successful. actually letting a traumatic incident have long term effects. You know, yeah. you were thrown yeah. off a bridge by a monster. Three issues later, you like you said, yeah, it's kind of weird. You're like just happy-go-lucky cheering Spider-Man fighting the Rhino, right? Like yep. it's yeah. they're the, like having a long-term impact, um, even if it's not ex- like the trauma is not deeply explored. I, I think is is effective. All right. Yep. Anything else on Ultimate Spider-Man, or let's move into Ultimates. Yeah, let, let's move in. Yeah, I'm. I mean. I like this a lot. Like this, this was really the arc that, like, that or the two arcs that really hooked me in. And when I saw like next Venom for like issue thirty three, mm-hmm. I was like, "Cool, can't wait till next month." Yeah, no, it. it's going to be a good one. Uh, all right, so in Ultimates, the conclusion of the Miller Hitch first cycle, we have issues seven to thirteen here, and this is following up in the wake of the Hulk incident in New York City. Um, we have literal wakes going on because several hundred people died during the Hulk rampage that the Ultimates stopped. And this arc goes even bigger as we kind of follow, not kind of, as we follow up on the uh, realization or revelation in the first arc that there are aliens, there are Chitauri aliens that were working with the Nazis in World War II, and that they are basically doing a Skrullish shapeshift to like mask themselves as human in the uh, population of Earth. And there's a all-out alien invasion war (laughs) that this builds to uh but there you know obviously there are some kind of smaller character beats that happen first i think like we kind of teased out already miller and hitch together Mm -hmm. very good storytellers (laughs) yeah like they these 13 issues are either one or one and a half really good movies basically like good pitches for movies that you know the mcu avengers obviously take a lot from like in in terms of how that what that first movie was going to be, um, you know, it's not literally this plot, but it's not that far removed. And you know, you get the Chitari in, even if in name only, obviously versus the Avengers in the MCU. I actually, 
actually like the Ultimate version of the Shatari way more because they are these sinister Nazi allies that do have some personality. They do actually have personal connections to, like, Captain America, for example, because they fought before mm-hmm. in two wars now. Um, and there's really, like, big picture, it's kind of the perfect getting the Avengers together and establishing them story, you know? Like, mm-hmm. this is the thing that I think most creators try to do now, like in the New 52, when Jeff Johns and Jim Lee were launching their new Justice League, they do a big dark side invasion. You know, like you do a big, yeah. oh, we get together yeah, yeah. and we fight aliens and that's how we establish ourselves. And then maybe you can pull it back a little bit from there. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and that's what happens here. So I, I think the critiques, I really have no critiques of Hitch. <laughs> like, like truly none. Um, so like his, his yeah, yeah, I, so I was going to say, yeah, he is. I mean, the, the whole thing's great. This is, I think it's an interesting comparison to Bagley, right? Um, because let me see here. I wanted to. Uh, well, I'll come back to it. I'm going to find the. Uh, I wanted to find the color and the uh, the inker because so the the like... is Andrew Curry and the colorist is Paul Mount. So yeah, I wanted to call them out as well. Okay, letters yeah, by because I think I think especially the inking here. Actually, both inking and coloring, but the inking is like so key to making this work because it's yes. very very detailed and very busy stuff. But the inking, like it's like what sometimes uh, we should also credit it... Paul Neary on inks. There there are two inkers throughout this. Okay, yeah. Um, I think sometimes when you have a, a an artist like a penciler who is who draws incredibly detailed stuff, it is strongly dependent on the inker and the colorer to make that readable. Right. Um, because sometimes you look at Jim Lee stuff, who's another guy who does like lots of detail, and you look at his pencils and they are incomprehensible. <laughs> you know, and the inker and the colorer have to turn that like, you know, because he's not doing shading, and they have to put in the shading and make it so that you can actually read. Like, there's depth to this. You can. You know, basically, your eye can distinguish what you're looking at, and sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't work if the uh, the inker and the color aren't working together correctly. Um, but they totally do. Uh, I think he's a good comparison to Bagley because you were saying Bagley is consistent, right? Month by month, he's putting out the comic for what almost ten years, yeah, right? Like right. close close to ten years. Hitch. This took him two years to put out these thirteen issues, right? Yeah. Like the series was delayed because it took him a while, and I don't blame him like absolutely no you know no shade here because like i was looking at these and i didn't know that till after i read them uh-huh. but like look looking at these comics it was just like how do you do all this in a month that's crazy yeah right uh, part of it is i think he's definitely um tracing is not the word um, i mean maybe he was tracing but he's definitely using a lot of references right like i think you know well, like, like city facial... landscapes and aerial shots you mean or other city stuff? landscapes and faces too i think a lot of this is like he's using you know like not Greg Land territory where he's literally just like tracing a <laughs> porn star's face yeah. and calling it a day. But I think like a lot of these these expressions are so pitch perfect with a real person's expression that they must be like he's looking at real photographs and, you know, transferring them over. Okay. Um, and no no shade against that. I think it works really well here and it doesn't veer into that Greg Land weirdness where it looks like you're looking at a bunch of photographs like right. that have been rotoscoped. Um uh, and I don't actually hate everything Greg Land does, does, but sometimes that's really a problem with his work. Okay, so I was saying, um, hitch, hitch, hitch. All right, took a quick break just in case this doesn't pick up <laughs> fluidly uh, from where I was talking before. Um, yeah, I think like there's something to be said. Like I think that is in praise of Bagley that he can put those out consistently. I think Hitch takes a little more time. But he's also going for like a much loftier goal here, right? Like mm-hmm. he's like you said, big cinematic work. And even if it took every two months purely off the art, I think it's worth it, right? Like yeah, he's doing a 
it's good stuff. I mean, it is it is worth noticing or noting like Ultimates Two won't come out until like a year and a half after this. We're not going to read it until November of this year. Yeah, the, uh, for my Ultimate Year. So, like, it's yep. there's a there's a pretty big gap. So, all right. Yeah. With that said, the end result is very very good. Um. All right. Let's actually talk the story beats here. Uh. So we come out of the wake of the Hulk. Uh, incident. Bruce Banner is being kept on ice. Basically, he's in like a sort of quarantine cell in a shield facility. Uh, Betty Banner is more into him than ever now that she sees him hulking God, out. I hate, and, I hate uh, that joke. That sucks. We talked about Mark Miller's sense of humor being the worst. Uh, she is I mean, literally he, turned on by video of him eating people, de- devouring, devouring the alien. It's at the end that we get that joke. There's but a, like, there's a, is there a like scholarly essay on themes of cannibalism in the ultimate universe? Because boy, would I like to get to the root. <laughs> I mean, it's all what? Mark Miller, right? Like, uh, it's no, it's not. It's not. I mean, this comes up in, he does it X-Men a lot with the Hulk threatening to eat people. He does it with Blob threatening oh, to eat people. It's going to come yeah, up Jeff, most Jeff notably Lowe, later yeah. with some Jeff Lowe written books. Yeah. Yeah. I think someone in the Slack just spoiled that for the crew. So uh, maybe that will lessen the shock of for everybody yeah it's um, a good thing or a bad I, th- thing. I mean i think i think it's more i don't know if it's about cannibalism cannibalism but i think he just he's a lot like uh um, oh, shock garth shock, Eni- shock yeah it's garth enos in that way of just like thinking that you know like people who have funny kinks is the funniest thing in the world and like garth enos also does that thing of like the funniest thing in the world is someone putting a hamster up their butt like that is grade a comedy yeah the joke the joke of like you know i'm gonna drip you in chocolate and put scorpions on your penis like that is right so funny to them no i just like, call that thursday it, evening you know typically yeah. like that's just pretty regular stuff garth enos mark millar and dave busing all love that sense of humor you know on one hand you're using it as a dig but on the other hand pretty good company <laughs> in terms that's the weird <laughs> thing in terms of uh, i mean you know actually output. I got to say, Garth Enos pulls it off a little more successfully. Occasionally, he can be funny with that stuff. Occasionally. Mark Depends. Miller, never, never, ever. Yeah. There's a few jokes like that in uh, Preacher that, that land for me, but oftentimes it's eye-rolling. Okay, so in Ultimates, we also get Miller introduces Black Widow and Hawkeye mm-hmm. as key members yeah. of the team. They are the S.H.I.E.L.D. Black Ops division. So, again, you know, talk MCU influence, the idea of these two as sort of the S.H.I.E.L.D. Black Ops unit that has a history together of running missions. Yep. That begins here. Mm-hmm. They They kind of consider themselves like the real shield agents whereas the uh you know the other heroes are the big razzle dazzle um you know good looking kind of put them in front of the camera agents you get some mm-hmm. really cool black widow and hawkeye action as they infiltrate what appears to be an office building and they just start like hawkeye just starts putting arrows through people's heads um and obviously yeah, as the story goes it it reveals that they're aliens <laughs> or they but like a aliens. full issue later it does not does not spell that it lets you really like sit for a while that they're just bring a SWAT team in to completely wipe out an office building. Full I'll admit, of workers. yeah, I had forgotten. I was like, are these are these Hydra or AIM or like what is what is Clinton doing that he's just putting? I was thinking, heads? I was thinking Scroll because shapeshifter, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. We haven't read the Chitari in our My Marvelous Year Club. Are they notorious shapeshifters as well? Because I thought that was Scroll domain. So the Chitari debut here in in the Ultimate Universe. Oh, and oh they're not they a six are, six carryover. Okay, uh, not as far as I know, and they're pretty clearly like scroll light or I mean, scroll, yeah, scroll adjacent i mean they are i mean they similar in their abilities people I guess. they eat people and change into them but they're really these creepy like horse looking things underneath yeah 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 but they're not scrolls that can just like shapeshift i don't i don't remember yeah. or 
maybe I've never seen why they didn't just call them scrolls and just do a yeah. scroll interpretation, but I it kind of works, honestly. I guess I, I guess this way you save the scrolls is a possible use later. Yeah. In your ultimate sure. universe I, interpretation. I mean, they even do a Chitari Kree war later in the ultimate universe, mm-hmm. so that's weird. Yeah. Um I think they're the weakest part of this. Uh they The Chitari kind of just uses Yeah, they don't particularly work well for me. I don't know why they're I mean, they are like, the already, big alien Nazi menace. Like they are yeah, Like they, they it, work it's, it, like you don't have to do a lot of building. F- yeah, the actual fights and stuff work. It just all the details like fall apart, and I could use a little bit more of that. Um, they want to destroy I, not only Earth but the entire solar system, and I don't know why. Yeah, I, it feels they're, just they're, sort of like something spite. Like, <laughs> which is but yeah, because they says like we're the immune system of the universe or something, uh-huh. and they want to like wipe out Earth before it gets too I don't know too advanced or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and there's this whole thing that they were, like, egging on the Nazis in World War II. They were, like, the real power behind Hitler. Yeah. I don't know. It, it feels half-baked to me. Um, so, are you going to make a Dave Chappelle joke? I can feel it coming. No. No, no. I saw your eyes dart around, and I was like, is he is he trying to remember the name of someone in Half-Baked? Half-Baked. Baker. Do you never? Baker puns. Uh, Half-Baker's doesn't. No, I got nothing. All right. Okay. The, the other thing Miller does is he brings in Pietro. And a Wanda as Kinda. the sort of secret force <laughs> on the ultimate. Actually, we've been saying his sense of humor stinks. The Wanda Pietro jokes in this actually yeah, hit. Those actually, are actually pretty good. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. Like, because I, I actually was kind of annoyed. So they show up and after the, the Clint Black Widow action scene, which is a really fun action scene. Yes. You know, like the building blowing up and Wanda or Wanda, um, Natasha having to save Clint. All that really works. That's super fun. Um, like when they throw a sniper out of a helicopter while Natasha so can jumps jump out of a building, buildings. catches yeah. the sniper, jumps into another building, snipes the Chitari trying to get Clint, who's hanging by a thread, and saves his life. The fact That's that that action, sequence, action scene, yeah, the, the fact that that action scene actually like is clear and coherent, and you know what's happening, yeah. and you can read that is that. I mean, that's kind of incredible in and of itself. Like, it's mm-hmm. tough to write those those scenes and have like any kind of sense of place. Um. So after that, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver show up, and they're like, oh, we could have used your help, and Quicksilver's like, yeah, slow down the tape, I was there all along, I saved your life three times. Yeah. That's pretty funny, but then later they're moving in to, like, attack the alien base, and it's like, oh, they had to, you know, they had a chest infection or something, when you cue the stupid joke about Scarlet Witch's chest, um, from Tony Stark. But Which, I at mean, the end, character. Yeah, but at the end, you get the uh, that same joke, where, like, yeah, they were there the whole time. Like that they've yeah, been Quicksilver here. Yeah, makes the same joke. He's like, "Check the tapes. I saved you three times." I kind of wonder. I think it would be fun if uh, Brian Hitch had like snuck him into the background a few times, like that you'd have to go searching for it. That'd be you cool. Find Just like a little background. blur here and there, a little Easter egg. Yeah, that would be yeah, cool. Like, no, it's it's a good. I mean, gag. what would Scarlet Witch be doing though? Because she's not invisible when she's. Anyway, they also like clearly framed them as like that creepy incestuous lover thing on the cover of this well like in issue this, as like, well i mean wanda is always um back turned dra- to the camera and draped, draped around pietro yeah. and uh it's so it's it's doing two things it's continuing the the idea of the avengers as sort of a safe haven slash turnaround camp for former villains you know mm-hmm. um with wanda pietro because obviously they are like still members of the brotherhood of evil mutants as far as we know right um yeah they, they say that they're there that to name. they're there to uh like in, they're there to help in exchange for the release of political prisoners. Yeah, um, but it also lets Miller uh, really double down on the incestuous nature 
of these two. Because, like, what's funnier than non-traditional sexuality, Dave? What's funnier? Answer I don't know that. that that is meant to be funny, necessarily. Um, so much as just yeah, really, maybe, maybe not. really just, like, satirizing <laughs> um, their, yeah. those characters' origins. I do also think, like, incest is big, man. <laughs> like, Game of Thrones... I think is probably the most famous example. Uh, but I yeah. always talk about like the flash on CW, like basically brother and sister, like for no reason. Um, Miller and Hitch. Really? Kind of ahead of the curve. Kind of. They're groundbreaking here. <laughs> it's just, it's really groundbreaking work. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, all right. So I think a good plot line to bring up is the Janet Van Dyne recovering in the hospital. Yeah. Right. Like it's kind of touch and go for a while there. She kind of recovers. Meanwhile, Captain America on his own goes down to like seek out Hank Pym and beat the snot out of him in a very good scene. I think like I think that scene's really good at illustrating like, I think Hank Pym particularly is really really well observed. Yes. as this kind of abusive asshole like who still who he still kind of thinks there's redemption for him. And he like he still he thinks he's going to come himself. out of it, you know? Right, like he's kind of like you know, like, I made a mistake, like, I'm on antidepressants, like, please just, you know, yeah. relax, like, can't we just talk about this? And his phone call with Janet later is, I think that is, like, pitch perfect, that kind of, like, you know, oh, I'm not trying to get back with you, or, you know, like, Let's just have a get coffee. back in your life, can't like, we just, like, yeah, can't yeah. we just talk about this, like, civilized adults? Yeah. And, you know, and she hangs up on him, and that is, like... And that's a big moment I, for Jan, right? Yeah, it's great, it's great. I mean, she totally, like, you know... It's kind of her own person there. Yeah. And escapes him. But like that is such well observed abuser behavior of that kind of like Yeah. Oh, you're being the immature one if you don't want to talk to me. Right? Like, I've calmed down. Everything is reasonable here. Mm-hmm. And we get this history from um Betty Brandt that like nope. it's not the first time. You'd be like, you know, it ain't Hank from Betty Brandt. Be... What? It Betty ain't Ross? From... Betty Ross. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You're right. God thank thank you, Stanley. Um, well, Betty White jumped for, in with a quick uh, narration too. That was <laughs> that was a shock. It was very jarring. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Hitch used Betty White as a you know a model for one of these actors as a reference for, for Betty Ross. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, like Hank Pym would be gushing about her all through college, and then Janet would show up to class with like chunks of her hair missing. You know, these like really awful details. Like this isn't a consistent thing. Just every once in a while, Hank goes off mm-hmm. and you know splits her lip, gives her a black eye, something like that. Um, you know, and it, and it makes sense. It doesn't frame Janet as some kind of, like, weakling, right? Like, she views it as the good times outweigh the bad. You know, it seems like a bargain that, like, you can understand that people would give into and people would fall for, right? It, like, it does help detail what is a real uh, um, a real sort of uh, reflection of relationships, of abusive relationships. Yeah. And yeah, it so. makes it feel—it it doesn't make it make sense to—, to like you know kind of like why would somebody put up with that but it's also like well people do we know that and it kind of allows that to exist in the world even even though it's an awful thing you know um i actually think these issues the way they talk about it do help because i I critiqued bringing going to that going to that well for the first arc Mm -hmm. right like just kind of the idea of like of all the things you can bring up from Avengers history, why go to that issue, which I absolutely hate for, for reasons beyond just like that it does a gross thing. Um, so, but anyway, in this issue, it actually makes, I don't know that it makes it worth it, but it, it's like it, it invests in it in a way where it's like, all right, they're not just going to like half-ass this at least. They're not just yeah. going to, you know, they're actually being like, no, here's the fallout from this. It's not Jan just immediately being like, I'm done with him. It's like, no, they have a history, and she might still go back to him, and that's a concern. Also, Hank is, like, 
planning his redemption to her, you know, and by wallowing yeah. in self-pity and kind of like, woe is me stuff. So it's not the focus of this arc. I do think it does it surprisingly well. I'm not in any way. I don't think either of us are necessarily experts on the subject matter, but from my very distant vantage point, I actually think it kind of like does a good job of handling it. Yeah, it, I think it, which I I think it works predicted. well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I really like the detail that like Captain America goes off, you know, all kind of macho man, 1945. Yeah. To, you know, like to beat up the, you know, the guy who like beats on women, right? Like it's his job as, you know, a good guy to go like. And, and makes up. Hank and then, get big. And I'm not going to phrase that any different way. Just so he can use the line, you feel like a big man now, which is pretty damn good. <laughs> which is pretty I, damn good. I actually like, I applaud Miller for like giving us that scene, right? Like, which I think is very, like you're very much cheering for Cap in that moment, right? Yeah. Like Hank is just being like such a little sleaze. And, you know, he's all, like, apologies and, like, can't we just discuss this until he's not. And then he's, you know, like, you know, he, he goes big and starts fighting back. And he's yeah. like, you know, is this what you wanted, moron? Right? Like, clearly, it's kind of a show just to deflect any hostility from him. Yeah. And then he kind of undercuts it by Captain America goes to visit Janet in the hospital. And she is totally, like, you know, like, this is not 1945. I don't need you to defend my honor. Like... This white knight crap is not impressive to me mm-hmm. and like, just leave me alone, which I think is good. And then later she like comes around a little bit and like appreciates it. But I think it's also important that like, it is not just some like, oh, my hero moment, right? Yeah. Like she's acknowledging yeah. and pointing out that like, yeah, he's sticking his nose in someone else's marriage. And like, it's not necessarily just to be applauded that he went and beat up Hank just for, to protect her honor for revenge for yeah, I whatever think it, I you think know, that's a great point. macho reason. I think like it does a lot of, and I think it like threads that needle of like Janet, like, you know, like is saying basically like, I'm not, you know, you didn't win me <laughs> basically by doing this. Yeah. You I'm not a prize, me. you know, I'm right. Not, I'm not but also now. like she is thankful, like she can appreciate that Captain America is protective of her while also chastising him for, kind of having this backward notion, right? It's not this black and white, like, she just says he's a monster and he's a jerk for going to do this. But also, like, times have changed and I don't need you to protect me, right? Like, Well, it's also a little defensive, I think, of herself, you know, in in a sense of, like, you know, you have this person, like, saving her, whereas this is a relationship she has entered willingly for a long time now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, there's a, there's a sort of. It's like, of, what did you did you save my marriage? <laughs> you know what? Did, yeah, what did yeah. You do here. You know, and she's still weighing. I, I think like, are we? She's yeah, still weighing. Like, are we a couple still after this? And and obviously not wanting that, but also realizing like, well, I, do, I have gone back to him before. You know, like it's it, and this is what the Ultimate Universe prides itself on. Miller and Hitcher, especially like, is complications. Is things not yeah, being black and I white think it's properly complicated? Yeah, yeah, and and sometimes that. You know, it can it can reach into territory where it's like, you know, kind of trying to be, quote unquote, realistic unsuccessfully. I think here it actually does a nice job of being like, no, this is messy and complicated and we're going to we're going to paint it that way. Um, Yeah. Even even if we do ultimately net out with, you know, a kiss between Janet and Cap by the by the very end of this. Yeah. Which I think still works. Like, I think this works in that way of like, you know, like she still is a person who like stands up for herself to Captain America, mm-hmm. <laughs> while also still admitting that she has some, like, feelings and some gratitude for him, or at least, like, is, you know, touched that he, like, cares enough, even if she thinks it's misguided in the way that it was yeah. expressed. Yeah. You I know what else really is good. my uh, my other favorite 
not my, not my other favorite, not that that was one of mine. Another thing I really like about this is every time Thor shows up, um, or there's a couple times Thor shows up. One, to Nick Fury, he's like, oh, sorry I'm late, I was just battling the serpent of Midgard, of Nvatselheim. And, yeah, yeah. and people are just like, what are you talking about? Like, we never see Asgard, and it's so, mm-hmm. it's so smart. I really love that they never show any hint that Thor isn't full of BS. Like, like they never actually give us Asgard. Mm-hmm. Throughout this entire first sequence, we don't and know if is, he's full of it or not. No spoiler for this, but this is a big part of the next arc. Of yeah. This, and it's really effective there. This is what I really... The, I, I kind of don't remember Thor through all this. Like, it's fine. But the uh, the next... I think it's Ultimates 2. The next arc really brings all this to bear. And mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Like, this is something... Actually, Miller does this twice. He does this now and with Jean Grey, Phoenix stuff later. And in both cases, I think he, like, does a good job of threading that needle of, like, weaving just enough doubt of, like, it, is he real? Is he real? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. Like, what is, you know, playing with the kind of meta idea of, like, well, it's clearly real in 616. Like, he's actually Thor, obviously. But is he here? I don't know. Yeah. No, we don't um, We don't yeah. totally know. Um, all right. So good. My the favorite ultimates... detail is oh, go ahead. Tony Stark and Black Widow have sex in the men's bathroom stall before going to fight yeah um uh-huh. it's it's cool it's cool and good and funny i don't i loved that i mean you're you're obviously being sarcastic is that no is that that weird is that that bad like why why shouldn't um, they the, the, oh i don't know i think like the joke of you know later her like thanking him for it is pretty cheesy being like that really meant something to me like oh, I didn't. <laughs> as she thinks I didn't even catch that. he's going to sacrifice himself. Oh, he's, like, going to sacrifice himself with the bomb, which is yeah. another, like, MCU wink. And okay. he's like, no, I'm not. But before that, she's, you know, like, thanking him for, uh, you know, this, like, last moment of, uh, I don't know. It, I, I can't read anything. Anything to do with uh, sexuality in Mark Miller is just absolutely repulsive to me. <laughs> yeah, cer- certainly not a yeah. fantastic track record there. I think on its face, the fact that they yeah. have sex before they go to battle is, like, Sure, why not? Um, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Oh, I, I like Tony Stark being a coward, though. Good detail. Tony Stark is great like, here. Tony Stark's really he has well to characterized. Get, he has not, to get I don't really, even know if he's a coward so much as just like a regular person. Yeah, well, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. But like in comparison to superheroes, right? Like he has to get wasted before getting in the suit, yeah. right? And that's another... That, I think that's a smart way of integrating Tony Stark's alcoholism is like it's a coping mechanism for him just to be Iron Man. Like yeah. the whole, the entire idea of him being Iron Man is way too frightening for him not to do it. And much. remember, this is on top you of know. an inoperable brain tumor. So like he's already got like oh, the yeah, limited shelf life where yeah. he's like, well, what do I have to lose? But he's still terrified. Like, you know, and, yeah. and of these huge situations, like he hasn't been in battle or in war. He just invented a cool suit. I do also, it always felt weird to me the fact that launching his suit is like launching a space shuttle and like it requires like huge amounts of people and teams and setup, you yeah, know, yeah, you yeah. can't just like easily hop in and out of it, at least at this stage. Do you like that mm-hmm. version of Iron Man? Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's kind of fun. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't want that. Like, I mean, it's one of these things that I think is fun in the Ultimate Universe. I wouldn't want in 616. Right. right? I think that's like one of the strengths of Ultimate Universe. You can kind of do these things that like do limit the storytelling potential if you're talking about a character who's going to be around for 20 years or 60 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, if you are talking about, you know, like we're going to, yeah, Iron Man's going to be in 45 issues of the ultimate universe or 65 issues, whatever. Yeah. I think it's fine to hobble him in some interesting ways. Yeah. I I like that detail because it does make it seem that much more like, yeah, this would be a multi-billion dollar project. And every time he launches, 
it costs like taxpayers millions and millions of dollars just for him to get in that suit right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and i the idea that um when uh tony or when nick fury goes invisible he has to like you know basically budget it <laughs> you know like override the uh the the shield budget because it's so expensive for him to turn on his cloaking suit yeah yeah those yeah, are actually i like i like those details, details. right yeah, those that it's fun. that you can't just you can't just toss these things around willy-nilly um so yeah i think like honestly i think all of the ultimates are characterized quite well here um even though i don't like it the, bruce banner is characterized consistently like he is a he is extremely unlikable as bruce mm-hmm. like he is probably the he's right up there with hank honestly in terms of being unlikable and then as hulk he is all id all libido and yes it leads to some really cringy jokes um but I, this interpretation I, of him is like it's pretty consistent and kind of believable I, I yeah i like i like the idea that like he is just the absolute fragile ego of bruce banner unleashed right like the all the like worst impulses of bruce banner get let out with yeah. the hulk i like that he just uses it for a lot of cheap jokes that hulk straight line sucks it's dumb i mean even even if it wasn't offensive it's just a stupid joke. Well, it, <laughs> if know, it wasn't playing on sort of the, the homophobia that runs through like everything at this in the ultimate line right now, yeah, it's just right. it's just a dud is the bigger thing. Um, not the right, bigger thing, that, but just it's it's complete dud. Um, also, well, I don't like, know. There, there the is something Hulk to moments. say about like sometimes like I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to die on this hill, but like sometimes it matters if a joke is funny, you know, like. Well, Sometimes if you're going to dedicate can, a full pa- a sp- full splash page can, or a half page to it, it does. Like it, the comic you can dance just loses around momentum. some like problematic jokes, like the one I was just talking about in Preacher. There are some jokes that like they are funny, even if you can be like, ah, oh, well, you know, the underlying subtext. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. is a little icky, but like sometimes like the jokes. I don't know. Like it, it is, it is a double shot of. Well, uh, obviously, there's going to be a lot of examples of that. Like if you look back through the history of stand-up comedy, they were not playing yo, with these yeah, same guidelines yeah. on what is offensive or quote unquote problematic, right? Like, yeah. so there's, there's sure. a ton of that and your mileage yeah. may vary depending on your perspectives and, and where you come from. I um, mean, Mel, Mel Brooks jokes, right? Like, sure. Those movies are great. They're really funny. Uh, they still land in some like bad territory sometimes, but like, they're still very funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that you can, you can pull those two things apart. These are both offensive and unfunny. It's the <laughs> joke is Hulk says something. Hulk, wouldn't say in 616 that's the joke yeah that's sure. it and yeah yeah, yeah. hulk yells yeah, yeah. something exactly. loudly that is different than he would normally say and it's not funny <laughs> like they just aren't funny jokes and they're coded in potentially offensive material so oh yeah that doesn't work i mean he all. doesn't even like call him gay here he says those people called you a sissy boy and he's like, I'm not sissy, I'm straight, right? Which is a double dose of, like, sucky. Because it's not even saying, like, they said you're gay, and he's offended by that. He's It's, you know, it's drawing a line between, like, being gay is to be sissy. Yeah, right. And I'm not sissy, I'm straight. Yeah, you're yeah, right. It just sucks. It suck, sucks all around. Uh, um, what doesn't suck, I think, is the use of the Hulk as a weapon. Yeah. I, his shield literally I, yeah. bombing, basically, the guitar <sighs> I with love, Hulk. I love that they just throw him out of the friggin' helicopter. Yeah so good like they're just like they can't get him to come out and they just toss him out of the helicopter and just like well you gotta turn or you're gonna just hit the ground yeah and of course he does <sighs> he turns into the hulk and he beats the heck out of the the nazi captain that you know because they're shapeshifters cap like literally can't tear him apart essentially so the hulk oh does. i mean but cap does we get the notorious line here do you want to do it i already said it from captain america I already oh said you it. said it at the very beginning yeah, yeah i guess that's true we get the yeah this, this is the famous full-page splash of 
Captain America. It it's actually like the it sets it's a nice setup where the Nazi captain says, "Are you going to surrender?" or something like that after he, he gets the upper hand, and Cap you know mm-hmm. says, "Surrender, surrender," and then a full page splash, and the the famous you've probably seen it spread around. You, you think this letter on my head stands for France? Uh, you, you know what this. This joke, I think, actually kind of works for me now compared to 2002-2003. Because yeah, I see that. At the time, the joke was clearly because there was all that. Remember Freedom Fries? I don't know. Like if you were if you were not young enough to like be living through this, there was a time where it was very. I don't know. The French were kind of much hated because they wouldn't back like. Uh, was it the know, war the in Allied Iraq? Forces? Huh? Was it the war in Iraq that they wouldn't be yeah. a part of? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm not actually sure specifically. I don't remember at this point. But, like, they wouldn't back America and, like, send soldiers into the Middle East. And it was like America was in a tizzy about this, and they renamed French fries Freedom Fries, blah, blah, blah. It was like I'm not very... sure anyone actually did that. I know that was a thing. No, Congress did that. They renamed Freedom Fries in the cafeteria at Capitol Hill. That was a Congress thing. Okay. Yeah, that was literally at, at Capitol Hill. You could you would only buy Freedom Fries then. Good, yeah. good use of your time, Congress. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, if you take it out of that context, I think it's funny because, you know, it's clearly Captain America bringing his World War II, like France yes. surrendered to Germany. Yes. You know, again, which is like, you can say like, well, okay, France had to make its own decisions, blah, 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 bringing real world politics. I think at a distance, at a remove of 80 years, it kind of works for somebody who like got ripped right out of World War II and, uh, you know, would clearly view the uh, the French with some kind of... Um, you know, like look down on them for having surrendered. Uh, I think I think that joke kind of works if you take it out of that context. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, yes, sure. Um, yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly had the same effect on Dave. <laughs> no, I th- I think it works in character for that character. Yeah. I don't think yeah, it I works do. as a joke. Uh, okay, so sure, Ultimates pretty good. <laughs> there's stuff to critique yeah, I think much yeah. like the first six issues you know there's a lot to talk about and a lot to critique but that's also because there's so many damn good ideas and there's really like so much macro good storytelling here that mm-hmm. I mean again like it's we called out a lot of the influence this thing has but it's even bigger than that I mean like Ultimates is yeah. insanely insanely influential on the biggest cultural entertainment <laughs> you know like source today of, of anything so you know yeah. Miller and Hitch definitely have to be given a lot of credit for that because it's you know the word I don't use the word visionary lightly it's a visionary story um, because it's it's the sort of thing that again is like it, you use this 15 years later yeah you were ahead of your time <laughs> for, for yeah he's just doing. really not he is not concerned about like stomping on sacred cows and sometimes it feels like he's doing it specifically to be like heh, 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 look at me stomp on this sacred cow but not as often as you might think, right? No. I think that's the like important thing is it often feels like it's very much to a purpose. The obnoxious stuff just... that we're calling out is probably like fifteen percent of the whole, if that, right? You know, like it it is small little moments, and they stick in my craw, but like it is a smaller part than you know than what soars here. It is not, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's good stuff. It's not the focus, great stuff ultimately. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of where we end up. Is the ultimates are the celebrated you know war heroes now. There has been an invasion of epic proportions, and um, I think that's really it. The Hulk's back on ice in the S.H.I.E.L.D. containment facility. And again, like, we will not see the the Ultimates as a series again mm-hmm. uh, for one, two, November. three, yeah. four, five, a whole bunch of episodes. Yeah, Six November, episodes, it November. looks like. 12. I don't know. That doesn't 12. mean anything to me. What 
November. November of this year. November 2020. We'll put that out. Yeah. On our Patreon feed. So this has been My Ultimate Year, Episode 5. Next up, we're going to do Episode 6, where we are going to do the introduction of the Fantastic Four, Issues 1 to 6. We are also going to throw in the Ultimate Marvel team-up issue that kind of goes along with that, even though, frankly, why? (laughs) Because we're reading everything. Because we're reading everything. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, 33 to 39, and Ultimate X-Men, number 21 to 25. Again, if you want to see all these issues so you can read along with us ahead of time. We do this monthly. Uh, you can check those out in the show notes. It's the easiest way. Or you can go over to patreon.com slash this year to both consider supporting the show and to get access to all of these lists ahead of time. Yep. In and the, the show ahead of time. Six months ahead of time. If you uh, hear right. this on the public feed, you have six months of episodes waiting for you on the Patreon feed. Yeah, yeah. We should really mention that uh, up top. Yeah. Would be useful. All right, everybody. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Music for the show is by Divine Right. By divine right. It's by bye bye divine right. Divine right. Yes. Mm. Well, you. no. Yes. Okay. I think people know. No, I said it right. It's bye bye <laughs> divine right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got uh, it. Excellent music for the show. Thank you to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm Dave. You can find me at compocarol.com. He's Zach. You can find him. Um, I don't know. My marvelous year Twitter. In the gutters. That's where you. Oh, on Twitter at my marvelous year. And uh, in whatever gutter you happen to be. Well, just whatever at. gutter your mind's in at the time. I assume. <laughs> Anything else you want to plug? Nope. That's good. All right. Thanks, everybody. And as always, we will ultimately see you next year. Nah, I'm not going to do that one. Yeah, it's a good one. Ultimately, like at the end of the day, we'll see you next year. Yeah. Ultimately, see you next year. Bye. I got issues.